welcome to the Anxious Conservatives podcast. I'm Liam here, one of the Anxious Conservatives, and I'm joined tonight or today or whenever you listen to this, not by my usual co-host Lynette, uh, but by somebody who is not an Anxious Conservative. He is, he may be anxious, but he's certainly not a Conservative. In fact, I think he would really bristle at the term. Wouldn't you, uh, Damien, you ever get called a Conservative? Can I just say, I'm very disappointed that, that it's Monique's not here. I thought when you when you invited me on, I thought, fantastic, I'll have the opportunity to engage with Monique, but instead I've got this, this bearded reprobate from the man I would too. Um, but no, definitely not, not a conservative, not by any stretch. But the problem is, Damien, with both of our egos, they couldn't handle a third person. So, you know, like, there's, <laughs> I mean, so much bandwidth can take. So, <laughs> yeah, and do, do you get called a conservative though? I mean, you're a libertarian, but um, that's pretty clear here on your read your work, but often, often, so sort of we lumped in together as, as if we were the same and we're really not. Uh, yeah, sometimes people online uh, will, will assume that because I take some positions that are clearly on the right, people assume that I support national or that I align um, with the conservatives. Um, but then when I take a libertarian position on things like drugs or war or, or immigration, there seems to be a bit of confusion uh, in some of the you know, lefties who um, are appalled that somebody they despise agrees with them on something like marijuana. But, you know. Yeah. Well, I guess because I've always sort of thought, I mean, I've always appreciated you, but I've always thought of you as more, more of a co-belligerent than an ally. <laughs> <laughs> That's once once we have defeated the left, yeah, uh, we shall tear each other <laughs> asunder until almost certainly all of the libertarians will be in the ground or in the concentration camps. Well, see, see, one of the I think one thing I'd like to get to the bottom of a little bit is so, so I mean there's, there's a real difference in, in how we see the state, right? Is is between conservatives and libertarians, and so. You know, there's, there's, there's some overlap, well, there's quite a bit of overlap really in the idea that a lot of the state, the things that the state does is unproductive or is, is unhelpful. But I think conservatives have a stronger tendency towards seeing the state as being part of the natural order of things. It's something that's got to be quite reasonably strong and muscular, um, certainly in, in its areas of competency, whereas would you say your view is more that it's a more of that night watchman ideal? Like you can only, you only do a very small number of things. I'd say that from a libertarian perspective, we look at the conservatives and progressives, and our view is that both organised, both groups wish to use the state to advance their own agenda, whereas a libertarian views the state as an, as an inherently evil thing. Uh, and though whilst it might be a necessary evil, libertarians and kind of anarchists uh, de debate that, uh, but that the action of the state is inherently an evil thing. Um, and that's, that's, that's kind of the difference, I think, when, when libertarians look at the left and the right, we see both organisations wish to use the state to advance their own agenda, whereas libertarians and anarchists believe that the state simply shouldn't exist or if it does exist must be restricted to its its smallest possible component parts okay so how, how does that map on to the current controversy controversy and issues around the coronavirus and um and the government response to it so do you think you you've just got a more inherent your starting point is you're more inherently hostile 
to the idea of the state stepping in to um, to, to impose public safety measures or, or promote public health. Like your starting point, just that you know that's something that shouldn't shouldn't really fall to the to the central government. Uh, yes and no. It, it it does become a matter of degree, right? So I think we we're debating on Twitter the other day, and my reaction was, if we were dealing with something like SARS, which I think had a ten percent mortality rate, then if you're dealing with something at that that lethality, then uh, I think the principles would go out the window, uh, and you would need to do whatever it, it it took to preserve that cohort of the population. Likewise. If we were confronted with an external enemy who was pouring troops across the border, then you have to use whatever tools are available uh, to you and the state is a tool and, and you may need to use it. Uh, but then at the other end, you know, we would say, well, you know, look at the roads. People are prepared to accept some degree of carnage on the roads for the for the you know their lifestyle. It really does become to some extent what your threshold is. And because libertarians tend to place a far higher value on their uh, freedom and their ability to move and interact with people, then for us, you know, in New Zealand, something like 7,000 odd mortality, if we're comparing it to Sweden, we look at that and says, well, okay, all right, when we look at the other, at, at, the, at the costs that, that's imposed by these uh, lockdowns and other measures, that's a price that we are prepared to pay. People who uh, are of a more progressive or conservative mindset simply have a different threshold. So from my perspective, when I look at what the state is doing, I have two aspects in my mind. One, I believe the state's inherently incompetent and will almost certainly screw this up. Uh, and two, I have a deep aversion to the, the, to the state doing things. And so in order to convince me that we need to make the the freedom sacrifices that we are making, it needs to be much more of an existential crisis than what COVID is. Okay, so are you saying that there is no real difference in principle, just a difference in facts? Because so you, know, you don't know about Winston Churchill, right? So Winston Churchill say to this lady, would you speak with me for a million dollars or a million pounds? And she say, yes, I would, Winston. Would you speak with me for 10 pounds? What kind of what, what kind of ladies do you think you take me for? When you already agree what you are, we're just taking over the price. I mean, you know, like once you agree in principle that you know there is a point where the state has to step in and to preserve public safety, preserve public health, has got to take some draconian action. Are we? Is there actually a difference in principle, or are we just coming down to a factual disagreement about the lethality or the danger of this particular outbreak and of this particular virus? No, I, I don't think we're, I mean, there are, there are lots of anti-lockdown people who frankly lie about how dangerous COVID is. Uh, and, and I think they are being dishonest. Um, they don't like lockdowns and so they seek to, um, to minimise how, how dangerous it is. Uh, if there was, was a non-state solution, my preference would be to, to go for that. But the reality is that there probably isn't a non-state solution to problems like uh, a SARS or, or MERS type outbreak or war. And so given that there isn't a, a non-state solution, then okay, fine, we, we use the tools that are available and that's a state. But I think it is to a large extent an element of degree. And I think your analysis of the, um, of the, the price uh, 
of you know 10 pounds or, or a million pounds is correct because if we were dealing with a war or if we were dealing with um, a pandemic with a 10 percent mortality then i would say fine use whatever tools are available and if that includes um, um surrendering liberties to the state then yes but the but there's there's another aspect to it i think and that is um, I can't remember who said it, there is nothing so permanent as a temporary government program, uh, that I have a suspicion that there's going to be very long tail to this. So we're 18 months into this thing. Uh, and my suspicion is that we are going to be confronted with a whole raft of ongoing regulations and restrictions that are going to live with us for potentially many years. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, yeah, people deny it sometimes, but I think it is that sort of very vocal level two forever contingent. You know, those people who actually would like us to be in level two forever, and rather than as a temporary um, uh, um, uh, response to a crisis. And, and bear in mind, you know, um, the analogy you use, wars can last four, five, six years, even longer, and, and still be a genuine temporary crisis. But the um, but I guess what's more interesting to me is, is that we can talk about I guess the second order effects or the consequences as a result of just the way political systems are. But if you wanted to really get to what differences there are, you know, it, to me it's something it can be quite interesting just to take things at face value, right? So if people say right, okay, um, we need to have a temporary, let, let you know, we should we should. Interesting sometimes to assume arguendo that temporary measure will only be a temporary measure. And if you can if you can show that it's a temporary measure, um, uh, uh, then um, uh, then well if you can, if you can if you if you if you can pull it off as a temporary measure, would you would you still just would you still justify it? So the question I always have for you, Damien, is, is it's a bit like welfare, right? So I've heard you say before that you know you you make you make you make all the good claims that while welfare doesn't work. Why it doesn't yes. achieve what it's what it's uh, ostensibly there for, but you're also opposed to it even if it didn't work, right? So you've got no, you a I mean, I um I am opposed to state funding of health and education and pensions, not because I have a view on whether they work or not. I am opposed to them at a deep philosophical level. Now the problem that I face is that because I am opposed to welfare and um, public health and education, um, I am probably going to look for evidence that it doesn't work yeah. because I have a philosophical objection to it. If I can find evidence that it doesn't work, then, then that helps my argument. But in, in a sense, that's dishonest because my opposition to welfare is based on a philosophical disagreement with it, not not necessarily a function of its yeah. uh, effectiveness. Have you seen, have, have, you, have you heard of the, the Mott and Bailey analogy? Like, is, is the, the what's that? Mott and Bailey, M-O-T-T-E and Bailey. So it's a very effective way of defending a city in medieval Europe, right? And so you have the, the Bailey is where everyone wants to live, it's the village, it's very lightly defended. And then the Mott is a, keep a stone fort on a hill, right? And so everyone during uh, everyone lives on the baby, they live their free lives, and when, the, when they're under a heavy, heavy assault or attack, 
they retreat back to the key. And argumentation is often a little bit like that. So, you know, you people will be saying, look, um, uh, um, lockdown, you know, uh, lockdown, um, I'm against lockdown as a principle, or, or, or they'll say, um, you know, they'll make an argument about how lockdowns never work, um, and then the argument will be uh, will be assaulted or will be attacked, and they'll retreat back to the sort of more defensible position, and then conflate the two, right? And so, for example, you might say that welfare doesn't work, but you know, when it's under assault, you can always retreat retreat back to your unassailable position, which is that you're against it in principle. And so, I think as a lot of the time at the moment, we, we're having this argument on both sides around lockdowns and COVID. You have people saying. Right, well, you know, elimination, uh, elimination forever. That's the Bailey when they're attacked. Well, no, 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 it's, it's only elimination right now. That's the MOS back into the key. And so the, actually, the field of argument often looks quite bare. Like nobody's actually grappling with what their, what their principal arguments are. You know, it's, it's a sort of game, game of cat and mouse a little bit. Yeah, but it's, a lot of it's also driven by uh, people's a priori partisan views, right? So. Um, if John Key was running this campaign, um, then a lot of the Labour bros would be taking a very different approach to it. And so you see some of this stuff and, and, and it's completely laughable because you know that if exactly the same position was being run by the uh, by National, a lot of these people would be taking a much more uh, critical approach to it. Um, but um, I also think, though, there is the element that if you have a look at those on the left of the spectrum, they are predisposed to support government measures. Yeah. And, and as a consequence, they are more likely to support government lockdowns. Uh, and those on the right tend to be more suspicious. And so they are looking for a more limited application and then a, a, a quicker movement towards yeah. you know, some other yeah. response. And you can kind of see that in, in the difference between New South Wales and Victoria. The, the New South Wales government has just kind of given up the ghost and says, all right, we get to 70% as personal responsibility because the Premier there is, uh, is um, Liberal. And in Victoria, you've got uh, a Labour Party uh, Premier and he's taking a much more no, 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 we, we will only finally surrender when, when there is no uh, alternative options. And so I think it's, it's not just the public necessarily, it's, it's also government administrations that their approach to these things is somewhat shaped by their uh, inherent uh, worldview. Have, have you ever wondered what um, the politics of climate change would be like if climate scientists were like really arguing for privatization of the economy is the, um, <laughs> the answer? <laughs> I, mean, uh, I, like, I like to troll my friends on the left um, uh, uh, by arguing for nuclear energy um, yeah. because because nuclear energy and and you know I defend Margaret Thatcher on the basis that um, she did more than any British mm. Prime Minister to reduce carbon emissions by closing down the coal mines. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so this is you know, and you can. But again, see, on climate change, I can predict with a you know probably sixty or seventy percent confidence what your view on climate change is when I know your politics. Yeah. And that and that's insane because how you know is man-made climate change is is a function of the chemical and physical you know carbon atoms or I don't understand it, um, but 
but people are viewing that through their through the political lens and it's and and it's a problem and but you see exactly the same thing with covid i think um and you go back to the start the initial the initial estimates um sean handy's initial estimates was eighty thousand dead right um and when i first saw that estimate i thought cripes eighty thousand is a staggeringly large number you know you're talking what 1.6 percent or something of of the population and I, and my criticism initially was a little bit muted because i was thinking well okay if you're dealing with carnage at that level then this you know maybe we need to put principles aside um and just deal with this thing but then as the crisis went on it was pretty clear that that it was nowhere near as lethal as that and so my position kind of you know i fall back to my default hostility towards government action but a lot of a lot of the labor bros and, and the rest of it, they never really shifted their position. They looked at these 80,000 mortality figure. And when it turned out that this was nowhere near as bad as that, they never resiled from their uh, initial uh, stance. Um, but there's, a, there's another really interesting, I can't remember who wrote it, but there was somebody else who said that the first person who responds to this is the person who sets the agenda. And so, when we saw how the Chinese were dealing with it with Wuhan, with all of their lockdowns, that became the, the, the default response. And it's like the, the saying, we have to do something, this is something. And, and once lockdown became the, the default setting, um, to do anything other than that became somehow um, an, an anathema. Yeah, okay, well, there are a couple of points to, um, to bounce off from that, I suppose. Um, I, I suppose the first one is, um, isn't there a an objective criteria here to an extent, which is, or, or, or a test which is, isn't totally um, uh, theoretical, which is that uh, what number, how, how could we, how, how, how could the New Zealand health system cope with an outbreak of COVID without being totally overwhelmed, right? So we have a public health system, I'm, not, I'm sure you dislike that as much as anything, but it's what we have. We all pay taxes to support it. It's where most people get their serious health um, health concerns addressed. And if the, um, and we'll get on to this question of the experts in a minute, but if the, the people who are in charge or paid to to, uh, to model and to, um, to work out what our hospital capacity is gonna be like, say that right without a lockdown, um, for this period of time, or until we get to this point, our health system will be totally overrun and we'll have mass graves. Isn't that kind of um, an, 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 a, a sort of a good objective basis on which to base to, to sort of plan your actions? To say, right, well, that's the threshold. The threshold that we've got to reach is that we, we can flatten the curve and the health system can cope with it without excess, too much excess um, morbidity or death. If you go back and you have a look at the uh, the initial plan, so the, you're, you're right, that was the initial plan. We're going to flatten the curve and we are going to stagger this um, uh, process out. But we never did that. We never flattened the curve. We went out of our way to, to, uh, to stop the curve. So, and again, you go back to my, my initial kind of instinctive reaction to this was 
Yep, I was aware of those. You know, you saw those little graphs where the where the curve was flat and all the rest of it. And it was talking about uh, constraining uh, um, uh, the growth of the virus to allow us the, the the health system to cope. And okay, whilst I may have had some ideological problems with that, it was kind of a policy that made sense, and so I probably could have lived with it. But again, we didn't. And this is, you know. If the government had done nothing, all right, then you would have ended up, I mean, you know, Sweden's a, um, a, an easy and a hard uh, example. Um, uh, it's easy because we probably would have followed a similar um, infection rate. It's hard because they probably have a much more effective uh, health system with, with far greater capacity than, than we did. Um, but to come back to your question, if that had been the policy, then ideologically, I probably would have still not been that happy with it, but I probably wouldn't have written um, thundering op-eds denouncing the um, uh, the policy. Okay. But that's not what we did. No, I know, but, but bear with me on this. Okay, so yeah. we we do have, you know, the government um, vaccine rollout has had all the hallmarks of a bureaucratic rollout, you know, including the fact that, you know, they, um, that was, was bloated in some ways and insufficient in others and things were misallocated or that's what governments do, right? But we do currently have a vaccine rollout, which is actually going reasonably fast. It's, it's just quite late and it's starting. So um, we know that vaccines aren't a silver bullet. They don't, they, you know, we've seen in Israel and other places that they are not going to eradicate um, the virus from the face of the earth. Um, we're going to have it with us, but we also know that if we can hold on for a couple more months, get the entire adult population offered the opportunity to have vaccination, then everyone's had a chance to get the, the one measure that we, the one sort of ongoing protection that we can give people, people can have an opportunity to get boosters in the future if they want, and it would prevent um, some of the worst Cases from happening, uh, some of the worst excesses of, 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 of an outbreak from happening, isn't that worth it to hold out for a couple more months of this elimination strategy? And then, and then make a judgment call then? Okay, so we're, we're not really talking about um, uh, underlying philosophical views. We're, we're more talking about tactics here. Um, and, and sunk costs. Sorry? And, and sunk Sunk <laughs> costs are never a valid basis upon which to do anything. But I, I actually think that sunk costs are, are, are driving a lot of what's uh, happening here. And also people's, New Zealanders have embraced elimination strategy on almost a, a, a deep psychological uh, level. But, um, so not talking philosophy, just talking practicalities here. Okay, so um, my friend Martin Bradbury has this theory or he's, he's quoted some um, research somewhere that says, even if we get to 90%, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're predicting in um, somewhere north of a, of, of a thousand deaths, uh, um, even at 90% vaccination. But I think that's a low estimate because part of the problem we're seeing in Israel is that the older vaccines are starting to see they've got something like um, uh, 600 hospitalizations from what they call breakthrough, uh, where people have had the vaccines. So people in the early stage of this thing are, uh, who are vaccinated early in the process 
are catching the virus and not getting a free pass. They're, they're getting sick. And so what we may end up doing is we may end up paying the same mortality level. It's just going to be spread over two or three years yeah. rather than in a short space of time. And maybe there is. Maybe you can argue that there would be a lower mortality because we are spreading that pain on the health system over a, um, a, a longer uh, time frame. And maybe you can even make the argument that, um, although I would find it appalling, but you can make the argument that because we have a government health system um, and we have only something like 20 or 30% of the um, ventilators that our friends in the United States have, that we, we have to impose this government solution to deal with the fact that we have an inadequate health system, which is created by um, another government problem. Well, I, and, I think I think it's a very strong argument. Um, um, so I could I could probably if but if that was the argument being made, okay, then at least that would be an intellectually honest argument. At least but people would kind of. But you don't think that is the argument being made? No, I, I I I don't think it is. I mean, the the, the that's prime minister. Saying, that's what the No, but the prime minister in her. Uh, prior to this outbreak, the Prime Minister's office set out a, um, a roadmap. And in her roadmap, it was still talking about elimination as being the key aspect of government policy. So this was about um, five, yeah. six weeks ago. But this is, what, this is over what time horizon, right? Right? Because uh, it, was, I mean, it, was, it was a couple of years, I think, Liam. <laughs> well, you know, so, the, Spanish, uh, the, Spanish, I mean, you know the Spanish flu was a couple of years. We'll be coming up to a couple of years, you know. Uh, next March, we'll be up to a couple of years. Okay. So, but let's 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 now look at the counterfactual, right? Okay. So what's 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 the counterfactual? What right. if we so, had done what? So sorry? you're you're the health minister and prime minister, General Simo, in, in March last year. What's the counterfactual? Would you what, what would you what would you have done? Um, okay, so if I'd have a small problem because if I was, you know, sorry, I'll cut that out. It's just cold. I want to get some socks on. Go on, sorry, uh, I'll yeah. cut that out. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, <clears throat> if I was a health minister, I would not be the health minister of a libertarian nation. So. Um, I don't think that I could, in good conscience, impose the libertarian solution onto New Zealand, given that New Zealand is is not a uh, a libertarian land. Um, so, if I was doing what I think would have been practically the best thing to do, um, I may have put some restrictions in place to to see that the virus did spread at a at a slower rate, and that the health system probably still would have been slammed, but would not have been uh, overwhelmed in the ways that, you know, we are seeing. Um, uh, and that would have allowed the virus to spread in a slow and orderly fashion. We would have had somewhere between five and 8,000 uh, uh, deaths. Um, but at this point, we would have been part, we would have been through that phase and we would have been uh, out there in the stadiums uh, watching your blacks traveling. Yeah. And here's another thing to consider. There's so many um, people. Sorry? There's so many people. 
resulted in about a 10 or 15 one-off increase in the mortality rates for one year. And consider this, when you consider the lives that we are saving, so you, you run back to March 2020 and you say, okay, let's say that we could identify, say, the, the 7,000 people who would have perished as a result of my insane libertarian approach. Yeah. Um, as of today, a percentage and possibly a reasonable percentage of those lives that we saved in March 2020 would have succumbed to other ailments in the intervening eight months, in the intervening 18 months. They would be replaced by people who in March 2020 could have survived contact with COVID, but as their ailments and age have increased, they now will not be able to survive uh, contact with COVID. And then what is the price that we are paying for that? Now, this particular virus creates all sorts of trolley-type problems um, that, 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 that are fantastic to, to consider. I don't know if you've read um, David Edmund's book, Would You Kill the Fat Man?, um, which is all about the, the, the trolley problem. Yeah. But what we have done is we have imposed a massive economic and social cost on the vast majority of the population in order to preserve the lives of a relatively small percentage of the population. And whether you agree with that or not, in my perspective, isn't necessarily a moral issue. It is simply where your preference sits. So for some people, that figure is too, is too high and the price to be paid is fair. And yep. for some people, it's not. And it's simply where you sit on the scale. And, yeah. the, and, the, and the perfect argument is, is the flu or the roads. Some people are prepared to accept 300 deaths for the freedom to use their car. And they know that that, that, that may include them. But when they look at, at 7,000 deaths, it's too high. It's not a moral argument. Well, it is simply the, where your preference sits. Do you know about that? I mean, would, would, would you flip the switch on the trolley? What's your answer to that question? Um, honestly, I, I I don't know. Um, if, <laughs> if, if, well, if they if, have, if, they, if, have if, they have trial that right, they've, they've studied it, and most people wouldn't when it comes down to it, except for except for libertarianism and sociopaths. You know, like it's, <laughs> to 
to make the assumption that not pulling the lever is not an action in itself. Pulling the lever or not pulling the lever, they, they are both actions. So in exactly the same way as if I'm walking across the street um, and I see a kid about to walk in front of a car, I'm going to push the kid out of harm's way. That's taking an action. Not taking an action in that situation would allow the kid to walk in, in front of the oncoming vehicle. So in that situation, failing to, to, to stop the kid walking into traffic is taking an action. And the same way as not pulling the lever is taking an action. By not pulling the lever, you are making yourself, you are, you are a conscious pilot like washing the blood from your hands whilst, whilst turning a blind eye to mix all sorts of metaphors to the fact that the trolley is going to run over um, more people. You so, are, I mean, but, are you but, taking but, a... what would you, but what would you do, Liam? You're, you're, you're sitting there in the engineer's yeah. box with the lever. Do you pull the lever? I don't think that pulling the lever is the morally right thing to do. Because I think you are participating in an evil action. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's, I do think there is a difference, however slight, between not taking a step and taking one when you know that, that what the direct consequence will be. And, and once you start down that route, I think it's very, you know, there's all sorts of very dangerous things. You know, yeah, this, um, is, this, is, this, is the, this is the Anne Frank um, lying dilemma, isn't it? It's the same thing. You're, you're put in a situation and, and, and the, the, for, the forces of the state ask you to identify um, where Anne Frank is. And yeah. so you have a choice to lie or not lie. Would yeah, you lie? Yeah, lie. So you're, you're... Because, because the direct, because what the direct and most directly proximate result of what my action is, is what governs morality. So in that situation, you've got the situation to say, um, um, you know, is one person dies or, or five people die. <laughs> you're 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 the one, and 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 I and and in my view, failing to pull the lever is making a decision because you're in that moment, and you need to act or not act. So would, you push, would you push the fat man over? Would you push the fat man off the bridge in front of the in front of the trolley? Yes, I would push. I would push the. I would push the fat man off. <laughs> I mean, and, that, and that's he's how, going to die. You know and that's how we get socialized healthcare. You know what? That, that's actually <laughs> absolutely true. But the well, fat man's going to get COVID anyway. <laughs> so, so his life expectancy. You know. Okay. okay. I mean, this, so this, but this is interesting, right? Okay, because. From your libertarian perspective, okay, um, you know you're not an anarchist, so um, you know, and I've got to be, I've got to confess, having resorted to that lazy argument of completing the term in the past, and that suited my purposes. But there well, is a real let, 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 let me let me just um, respond to that quickly, though. There's a reason why I'm not an anarchist, um, and that is because I believe that human beings, from what I have observed, are hardwired to form themselves into organizational and political structures. And so the reason why I'm not an anarchist is not because I have any philosophical or moral problem with anarchy. I simply believe that it is a it is an unstable equilibrium that would break against, down within days. Against human nature, in other words. Yeah, and 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 it's it, it is a denying of, it is a denial of the very nature of humanity yeah. to believe 
in anarchy. Just like communism. Anarchy and communism, both both contrary to human nature. Just like just like communism, yes. So okay, so but as a non as a non anarchist, as a libertarian, um, what um, what 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 is the classic scenario or principle for government interference with freedom? Right. So as a libertarian and not an anarchist, what are the classic conditions that justify government intervention in some way? For example, having a criminal law. That's tricky because I, I don't believe there are any. What, um, what about non-aggression? The non-aggression principle. Um, I, sim I simply believe that um, anarchy is an unstable equilibrium, and therefore it is pointless to uh, to argue or, or advocate for it. But do you um, believe? But, but do you believe in the non-aggression principle? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to drive at. So the, the, the state is the governing authority has some justification to intervene where uh, people are hurting each other or are being aggressive against each other. To secure the right to freedom for everybody else, is that, is that right or wrong? You have, you have, you have, you have, no, you, you have the right to defend yourself. Um, so I would, put, I would put it like this: the state should not have the right to do anything that you, as a private citizen, do not have the right to do. Okay. So, um, if I want to pay for something, I have no right to go to Liam Hare's house and take what I want. Mm -hmm. If I want something, then that's, that, is, that should be the limit of, of, of where the state's authority rests. So if I see somebody about to commit a crime or I see a crime has been committed, then um, I, should, I would have a moral right to, to act in that situation. And in that situation, private individuals should be able to delegate to the state yep. power that they have, right? This, this is the whole um, Hobbesian uh, argument about, you know, we, we individuals are giving up the, the monopoly of force. But the, the key element there is that the individuals voluntarily are surrendering their swords to the, yeah. to the sovereign. So if I, want to, if I want to come up to you and punch, if I come up to you and I'm, I'm going to punch you in the nose, for example, the state has the right to step into your shoes to prevent me from doing it or punish me from, for, for doing it. Correct, yes. Okay. What if I want to sneeze on you? If you want to, you want to sneeze on me. Yeah. What if I want to give you, what if I want to contaminate you with a new disease that's quite deadly? Okay, all right. I, I, and just breathing no. and then breathing no, of eternity. No, you cannot. You 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 cannot draw that um, that distinction because um, you're talking about. Do I have the right? Do I have the right to force you to be confined in your house to protect me from um, um, an an incremental risk of of harm? Now, if you have typhoid. And we know that you have typhoid, then the people in the village may have the right to turn around and say, right, we know that you pose um, a serious and present risk to the community. We're going to put you on, on, on a hut on, on the outside of town. All right. 
Um, and this is why we have leper colonies and, and all the rest of it. So that's fine. But forcing you to, 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 to remain in your house to, um, without any evidence that you are uh, sick or infectious is not something that I, as a private individual, should be able to do. So even, you if can't... Even, even if there's no way of knowing if I'm sick and infectious, so there and that's where you get, um, that's where it becomes uh, impossible to justify because you are no longer confining the sick, you are confining uh, the healthy. And the whole argument of, although I don't necessarily subscribe to the 10 innocent, um, 10 guilty men go free, the one innocent man is confined. If you use that as the basis point, you are confining five, four million, nine hundred and ninety thousand and one hundred people um, um, because 800 people have the, the, the virus. But, but there surely is... Surely we're just talking about... We're just talking about the developed from the punching on the nose argument. But the, but the, the, um, the better argument against my position, right, would be that... If the community itself formed a consensus view that they were all going to self-quarantine, right? And that and that really is what happened, right? I don't think it's a team of five million, but it's probably yeah. four million seven hundred and fifty thousand. So <clears throat> if the if the vast majority of the community or the village <clears throat> make a decision to go down and 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 self-isolate themselves to do this, then the better challenge would be what right does the dissenting individual have who is a part of the community whose existence is entirely dependent on that community? So I could not function in a, in, uh, without the community and the society, right? I, yeah, I can barely right. chop wood, for God's sake, right? So, so what right does, does a small dissenting minority have in that situation to to put at risk the um, uh, the what is a near unanimous unanimous view of the of the population. So I think that's that's a better that's a better argument against my position. Yeah, to I'm say, well, sure. okay. I'm not sure about that. I think that is a philosophical difference, right? Because as a conservative, I actually do have more sympathy for that top down idea of kingship and that the government. Is actually stepping into the shoes. What the government we have now is actually exercising its kingly prerogatives, or as, as an agent for what we once thought of as, as a king or kingship, to do so in a, I wouldn't quite necessarily say paternalistic way, but in a but in a way that is more about its duties to protect the community rather than a ground up decision um, that be ratified by an election last year, which I guess is what you're. Is what you're referring to. Yeah, and 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 that's an argument that if um, if you work on the basis that human beings are inherently um, form themselves into politics, right? Because we do, mm -hmm. uh, and at least in the initial stage of the polities, we we derive significant benefit from being in an organised village rather than um, an out on our own, and so people given a choice of living on their own or living with a village, people choose to live in, in the village. And if you choose to live in the village, 
and you choose to live by the by the rules that that village imposes you, upon you. You've right? got to drink. You've got to drink the hemlock. <laughs> he could. He could have left if he wanted to. Um, uh, anyway, um, uh, but the but. But where that argument, I think, potentially, and 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 that argument was was kind of evolved and, and developed in Renaissance Europe, where if you didn't like the the local king or lord, you could simply, you know, yeah. wander across to the next principality. We no longer live in that world. No, we don't. That's right. Um, and so I don't necessarily have the choice to leave the current political jurisdiction in which I live. And so we come back to the argument. Um, so then the argument kind of flips on its head. So, all right, you can say, right, Mr. Libertarian, what right do you have as a dissenting minority to take actions that effectively negate the will of the vast majority? And when you're talking about, you know, 95, 93% of the population supporting a policy, it becomes very difficult, even from a libertarian perspective, yeah. um, to sustain the argument. But what you see happening in, in other jurisdictions, particularly you see in the United States and increasingly in, in, uh, in Australia as well, is that where that minority ceases to be on the fringe and it starts to get 10, 15, 20% of the population, then the, the moral authority of the majority at that point gets really shaky. And yeah. that's more of a political reality than a, than a, a philosophical one. Yeah, and I, I often wonder whether or not the, the reason that we've actually done so well compared to other countries in terms of the efficaciousness of our lockdowns is because we actually have that we're a smaller country with a greater social cohesion um we have less irish people um in our background we're much more um much more english in our ancestry and culture than say australia where they've got that much stronger rebellious streak in them and in fact more than anything else that's what's informed our sort of high sort of high rates of compliance um look hey yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah, and 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 I think that's true, and I think that's part of the reason why lockdowns uh, have been less successful. I mean, one, it's an issue of borders, right? So, yeah. um, if somewhere like Belgium decides to lock down, it's completely pointless if France and Germany doesn't. So it's a it's an utterly ridiculous policy. So in somewhere like Australia and New Zealand, there's the lockdown policy can um, can work at least for a time. But where you have that that growing rebellious percentage of the population who simply refuse to follow the rules, then it becomes a, a less successful strategy. And I think part of the reason why in New Zealand it, it has worked is, is, and even people like me, I, I absolutely disagree with the policy. I think it's wrong. Um, but I, I, I stick to the rules and I stick to the rules, not because I think the rules are, are right um, or that they should be imposed. But I accept the fact that I live in a population where the vast majority desperately want this to work. There is a huge emotional investment in it working. Uh, and I don't want to live in the sort of society where I see happening in other jurisdictions, where the society tears itself apart in, um, in, and, the, and the anger and the hatred that is expressed on either sides of this divide. We haven't seen that in New Zealand. My concern is that if we continue with the elimination strategy too much further into new, into the new year, I think you may well start to see that uh, evolve. I think we have a much higher tolerance than some of our other um, Anglo-Saxon friends 
that that tolerance is not limitless. It's not unlimited. No, and I. But in fairness, I, look, I, I think if you carefully pass what the Prime Minister, even the Prime Minister says, there isn't an expectation that this is going to be the strategy forever. And, and there's a higher, de higher degree of consensus than I think people might, you know, people, people at the moment have their very strong partisan views, but the reality is, is that when the Prime Minister announces that the strategy has changed or entered the next phase, all these people who are um, lockdown forever, elimination forever, people, they will just, you know, they will just change overnight too. And they, and <laughs> you, know, you know that's true, right? So I know. A, you know, if you, did you see this week that someone found a 2009 ACLU report about um, civil rights and pandemic? And no. all, yeah, I'll, I'll it was all about how, it's made me laugh so much to see it. So from the ACL, American Civil Liberties Union, and it was all about how um, uh, you can't justify, 2009 was after the Bush, the Bush era, you can't justify restrictions on personal liberties because of um, um, the new diseases. And there'll always be new diseases and, and deaths and things like that that will make, that make people want to uh, impose new restrictions and, and crackdowns on civil liberties. And they have to be resisted at all times because if you choose between security and liberty, you get neither. And it's and, and a, a, a solid left wing group in 2009, but because of the partisan interest, that's yeah, they, they see, I mean, there's, there's a much bigger issue here, in a sense, from a libertarian perspective. And that is that collectively and psychologically, we have abrogated to the states aspects that I think that, that, that we should never have done. We didn't just surrender a monopoly of force to the states. We have abdicated to the states the very core of our being. I mean, I struggle to understand why the state is responsible for an individual's mental health. But, yeah. but we have just accepted now that we have a mental health problem and that the state's going to spend $1.9 billion to fix it. Nobody ever stops. That's, that, is, that is unchallenged. Yeah. Right? There is no questioning that this is a problem that is the responsibility of the state. No, and when I, you... I think that it is. I mean, I, I don't accept that the state can fix that thing or that, or that problem or that it will. The state didn't cause the problem. The problem's been caused by the social factors well beyond our control. And, and it just seems to me that what that is, all that money to be spent is, is the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff that's cleaning, cleaning up the mess after it, right? I mean, we, we can't fix the sense of alienation we have. It's um, a speed of spiritual sickness in society. In there, the state can't fix that, but it does have to live with the consequences. It's an externality problem. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's possibly your the spiritual side of your of your thinking coming out, that, and and I understand that, but um, but that's an, it's interesting that you you say that. I'm a bit surprised that, that is your perspective, um, but you know e even ACT is coming out with its own mental health policy that is more kind of around yeah. vouchers rather than taking a step back. Nobody's prepared to take a step back and say. This is not an area that the state should be involved with. But we look, we look to the state to, to, to uh, educate our children. We look to the state to look after us when we're sick. We look to the state to look after us when, when we're old. We have gone 
so far down we to a large extent the things that we used to rely upon for um for our families for our communities for our social organizations to our religious groups those sorts of things we have now moved to the state and so when we are confronted with a pandemic it seems perfectly normal and reasonable to uh to look to the state now i mean to be fair you talk about the spanish flu i mean the state absolutely did respond to the spanish flu and you know yeah. that's um about a hundred and uh two, three years ago now. So it's not necessarily new, but I think the, the view of the world. Okay. Still polio, but I've got a photo of my grandfather on lockdown in polio in 1924. From school from home. Because of the polio epidemic. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Although what was the what well, did polio have a high mortality rate? Polio is pretty uh, polio is the polio is pretty awful. Um Okay, well, this is where I want to get to, right? I've got to come to this point because I think it's an interesting one. You're not, you're not, you're not a virologist or an epidemiologist. You know, I mean, we can we can laugh. As, look, you don't have any qualifications in the area or formal instructional study. Neither do I. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have views and opinions. I think as a as citizens, we're absolutely entitled to form our own views uh, on, on those subjects. Um, uh, we can read reputable secondary sources. You know, if we're brave, we can go and Google for studies that confirm our biases and our, pri our priors and buttress our views that way. But we don't have any formal instruction. Um, I, I couldn't tell you what a virus looks like. Um, so to an extent, we are in the um, we are and we are relying on information that we actually are competent to assess, right? And that's the, the the, the problem of specialization. So how do you, we, we need to talk about how you don't think that COVID has a sufficient mortality rate or it's not sufficiently deadly or lethal. How are you coming up with that assessment? Because anyone can look, anyone can spend 25 minutes on the internet finding exactly what they want to fortify themselves with. If you want to do it in good faith, how do you, how do you, come, how do you come to that view? I'm not too sure that there is a, a distinction there because I think the the experts <clears throat> are, are reasonably in agreement as to how lethal the virus is. So there's, I mean, you may get differences at, at, at the margins. Um, and you go back and you look at Sean Hendy's in, um, initial 80,000 death estimate. I mean, that was that was his best guess based yeah. on imperfect information made at the time, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, I mean, he's he hasn't walked that back and, and nor should he but he's revised yeah constantly revising it right? yeah mm -hmm. so when i when i listen to to people like him and, and and other epidemiologists they're telling me that the mortality rate is whatever it is you know um half a percent or something and then um at this so that was kind of where we were a year ago at this point i don't need to listen to the epidemiologists i can look at countries like Israel and Florida and Sweden and the United Kingdom, and I can see what the numbers are. Yeah, but we come, but we come back. We come back to the initial point um, on on things like um, um, epidemiologists. The issue isn't because what we're seeing is we're seeing epi the epidemiologists are not simply telling us this is a virus 
this is what it can do, this is the, the lethality. The epidemiologists are telling us what the virus can do, yeah. fine, that's your level of expertise, well, but they then they are telling us what we should do in response. And it's at that point that I diverge from them because, yeah. okay, you can, you can tell me that eating butter might make me fat and might give me cardiovascular. That's great, all right? I have that information, but that doesn't mean that you can tell me how to live my life beyond that. No. I will take the information that you provide and, knowing I, and now knowing the risks, I will make my own decisions. Thanks very much. Pass me the butter scone. Yeah, well, 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 I mean, I agree with that. I mean, you, I, I mean, I completely agree with that. The role, of, the role of a professional isn't to tell you what to do. It's to lay out what your options are. And if you, but if the Prime Minister goes to her scientific advisors and says, this is the result I want, tell me how that I can get there. And then the, um, Sir David Stig or whomsoever tells their lays out, well, this is the blueprint to try and achieve your result. That's, I mean, that's a bit different. And so, you know, that's a question of political process, but the judgment call be it the start or in the end, it's got to sit with the politician. And, you know, or the individual, as the case may be. I, I completely yeah. agree with that. But, <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, so you look at, so, so you look at Brazil, these wildly diverging cases, right? So you look at, you look at Brazil, and if you follow how bad it is in Brazil, they've been half a million no. dead. Half a million dead. Because they've got that, um, they've got the mini Trump. Um, Bonsaro, <laughs> you look it up, it's amazing. All the way through, saying, no, um, or whatever. No, um, uh, he's he is he is enormously entertaining. Um, okay, but but um, okay, so 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 let's just come back to that. So in New Zealand, there is a near universal consensus, um, about locking down and pursuing an elimination strategy. Now. I don't know now. I don't know anything about I don't know anything about Brazil. Yeah. Um I haven't even been there. But let's for the for for the for the sake of argument, let's assume that the consensus in Brazil is not to lock down. The consensus yeah. in Brazil is, hey, whatever, let's go. I mean it's a, a you know there have always been new diseases, this is the next one. Yeah. yeah. Um, um and so we, we, we look at Brazil and we think that is an unacceptable way to, uh, to handle a pandemic. Yeah. But that's, that may not be correct. If the population of Brazil um, and represented you know, by a democratically elected uh, government um, it has come to the view that, well, this, this is, they don't want to lock down. And remember that this is, they're not an island either, right? So, yeah. so Brazil could not have pursued our strategy even if they well, wanted to. They well, they kind of are. It's pretty thick jungle all around Brazil. You can, you, can, you can literally walk across the border from Argentina. Yeah. No. All right, all right. True. Okay, well, look. So we've had this big rambling conversation, and what we've got to is actually there isn't a lot of difference in principle. We're just haggling over the price. Right. Yes, I think yeah. I, I I think I think that is um that is that is fair. And so why is everyone calling you a sociopath? Why is everyone why is in your face calling you a sociopath on Twitter? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know that. Look, there there is Twitter is not real life. Right? I know, I know. So there is there is there is a there is a small group of 
um, hyperactive crazies yeah. uh, who who get off on this sort of stuff, and um, and there is there is currency, I think, in being the most extreme, right? Yeah. So you look at the some of the people who uh, have described me as being a so. I mean, there's probably I don't know maybe thirty people who have um, come out and and absolutely dunked. Um, but you know, these are the same people who believe Matthew Hooten, you know, would boil down children. I mean, these are these are not rational, sane people. Uh, and you know, and you have a look at them, and you know, some of these people have they've they've tweeted, you know, one hundred and fifty thousand times since they got their account nine years ago. These are these are. Um, so I don't take these sorts of things too uh, too seriously. Um, yeah. Okay. But so just mean, to be clear, your your price, your price is nine thousand dead. No, my price would be much higher than that. Really? Okay. Well, yes. We, okay, so we we are in strong disagreement. I think my price, like I wouldn't be willing to sorry more than a couple thousand, to be honest with you. As a as a that would be an outlier for me. And that I think that does reflect just a difference in values that can't be breached. I mean, let's um, uh, let's break that down. So um, that that figure or my my reaction to that, my price is to some extent based on the sort of people that the that that's been carried away by the virus, right? The sort of yeah. people who are who are losing, not the sort of people. That's a wrong term, but um, but if this was if this was hitting children, yeah, then I would have a different my reaction would be different absolutely and you know that's and it's completely wrong and false to say that there is no moral equivalent between a five-year-old and a and, and a 75-year-old there, there absolutely is and so if you got caught if you got caught in the trolley situation and that was you know a 95-year-old fat man um on the bridge and, and a five-year-old child in front of the trolley i think the number of people who push the push the fat man would 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 go up Significant. No, and so wrong. I think no, that's wrong. That's just not, I can't get my head around that. Anyway, continue. But that's, but that's um, uh, you are no, you are no more alive ten minutes before you die than you are when you are when you're a baby. You, you know. No, the, no. The I, doesn't I, exist, I, and the past doesn't exist. Only the moment exists. No, I, I disagree. Um. I think um, as you get older, you become more aware and accepting of mortality. And um, if I was to to perish tomorrow, I mean that would be that would be that would be sad, and people will, you know there would be grief, and I would be gone. But you know I'm 55 years old. I've had a good life. Whatever. I mean people could reconcile their their around that. Yeah. Um, if if a 10-year-old child dies, the, the extent of emotional harm and grief for those left behind is exponentially more intense. Yeah, and I know, so I don't, yeah. I don't believe that... Um, if, if you could press a button, right? If, you, if, I, if, I, if I gave you a box and you could press a button and you'd get a billion dollars, but someone in the world would die, would you be pressing it? Some, some random person, 
Now, if you could press that, if, that same, same scenario, you get a billion dollars for pressing the button, but the person who gets executed, the person who dies, is a prisoner on death row who's going to be killed tomorrow. No. Because, that, because their life is still worth the same, right? No, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't because I would have to live with myself afterwards for doing so. You can save a lot of lives with a million dollars, Damien, if you're thinking, if you're just being utilitarian about it. Yes, but I know myself, I would blow it all on cocaine and ladies of inappropriate <laughs> virtue. So, so, no, I, um, um, but the, but the, um, I, I, I would not do that. Although it does, it does remind me of um, a Twilight Zone um, uh, skit where somebody was pushed, put with that uh, conundrum, right? So you, yeah. you push the button, somebody you don't know dies and you get a million dollars, right? And then the, the, the couple argued about this for days and then the devil came back and says, what do you want to do? And they press the button. And then the guy says, oh, okay, so what happens to the box now? And the Twilight Zone Satan says, it will be given to somebody who you do not know. Yeah, it's a movie. It's a movie. I think it's called the box. The box. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's um, yeah. it's it's a it's a conundrum. Um, but that's but that that is that is the problem with the so for me in that situation, right? I I, I wouldn't push the button because I would have to, to deal with myself afterwards. When you when somebody is faced with the trolley problem, by pushing the fat man off. They need to deal with the emotional consequences themselves of what they have done. It's and that's God. why... It's playing God, thing. It's playing God. Yes, it is, it is, no, it is not playing God. Playing God is whoever puts you in that scenario. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right? They're the trolley up that way. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, um, that's the person who's, who, who is uh, playing God. And that's why I think, and that's part of the issue what we have with this, uh, with the COVID reaction, right? Yeah. So it's like you are you are given a choice. Um, one choice leads to a known number of deaths. The other choice leads to another series of harder to quantify costs. And because those costs are harder to quantify and we don't really understand them, we look at the the, the five to ten thousand uh, dollars, five to ten known mortalities, and and that's confronting, and that's hard to wrap our head around. Yeah, but but also, Damien, the the less direct, right? That you know, if, if we don't yes, look at and that is, the, I think that is the difference for me, is it's that question of directness and proximity, and that's why. Well, I mean, and this. And look, Liam, this 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 also, and I think I've I've written about this, um, is that my own my own commercial situation probably impacts my thinking. So I'm having um I had one today, I um had at least two, possibly three last week, really emotionally hard conversations with people whose businesses are are going down. And um uh, and I'm pretty sure I, I wrote, you know, if if I was an ICU nurse, I I would be confronted with the reality of this virus, and I may have one one view, um, because I'm an insolvency practitioner and I am dealing with people whose 
commercial livelihoods and sense of their self and sense of their identity has been destroyed. And, and I can't honestly say that my, that my reaction to this virus is not driven in part because of the, of the reality of those, those conversations. Those conversations must be having an effect on, on how I think about this yeah. virus. And I may well have a different view um, if I was uh, working in an ICU. I think, I think it's a really good um, point to end on, a good on the note to end on, because I think there's a couple of things that we can agree on. Like, first one is that we're both prostitutes, and that everyone's a prostitute, and if we just have a different price. Yes. But the other one is, I think, and, and unfortunately, I don't think every, not everybody agrees on this, but I think it's so true, is that this, then lock, locking down, whether it's whether it's justified or not, it's a huge, it's a huge human cost. I mean, man is a gregarious beast, I and mean, even leaving the economics aside of it, like it's a, I, I can confess, I found this one really hard. It's only been, and I'm out of it in, in 24 hours. I, I have found it really hard, and um, and and I wish that I, 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 my own view is that I think you know people who are quick to dismiss people raising those costs, they're either they're either in a profession or an occupation where the money's going to keep coming to them anyway, doesn't really matter, they'll be paid by the state or close enough to it, that their livelihood is not at risk, and the worst thing to suffer is a couple of weeks, weeks of Netflix. Um, but for most New Zealanders out there, it is, it is, it is absolutely anxiety-inducing. And, there's, and so there, the fact that there's no easy way out of this pandemic Means that there are the trade off is a real one. Like me, we we are either way we're trading off something that's really important and dear to us. Yeah, and and both of us are, are probably reasonably lucky, um, and that you know live in, in reasonably comfortable middle class uh, houses. Our incomes are reasonably secure, um, but there are lots of people yeah. living in really you know small, difficult, cramped situations. And the and the cost of some of that would just be, yeah, yeah. I'd, um, and that's and that's to some extent why I think the one of the things I think that the the prime minister should do is she needs to outline what the end strategy is. Yeah. It almost doesn't matter what it is. She just yeah. needs to say this is when it ends, even if it's a year from now. People need to have some certainty about what the process is. Because if we know there's an end point, then to some extent people can wrap their head around it. But at the moment, there doesn't appear to be uh, an end point. And, and, and so, so we end the. And so the, epidemi the epidemiologist would say to you, well, we just don't have enough information you can know where that's going to be. And the point to make to that is to say, why it's not just the epidemiologist, that's not the only concern. Like it's, it's an important one, it's going to weigh very heavily in the balance. But, you know, the other concern is the concern of human nature and the fact that, yes, actually we do need to know um, because otherwise the whole enterprise isn't going to work anyway. No, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm up here in Auckland and this this is not level four. This is this is level 3.5. Yeah. Um, you, can, you can tell that there is a lot more activity that, this time than there was March. Um, I've been invited to a number of uh, secret underground raids, which I have politely declined. 
um, these 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 events are uh, occurring. People are socialising. Um, there just isn't the so the consensus is starting to fray at the margins. Yeah. Uh, and my concern is that if this elimination doesn't work, then it's going to get really ugly. Yeah. So, um, although it'd be satisfying for me to see it fail, um, I desperately want this to work because the, the implications for the country uh, and the society are really ugly. If, we, if we're here in two weeks' time and it's still at 20, then the, then the conversations get really ugly yeah. and the level of civil disobedience starts to creep up and then, and then you're into the, some of the crazy pictures and stories you see coming out of Australia. But yeah, I think I think we've gone on long enough. Um, I think it's probably it probably is at this point only you, me, and Monique, and even I'm not sure she got this far. Yeah. <laughs> so, with that in mind, so I would like to thank you again. No, no. So, so thank you. That was that was Damien Grant, libertarian um, uh, provocateur, um, and uh, and I'm Liam here from the Action Conservatives podcast, saying goodbye, goodbye.